Welcome to the Salted Podcast. We are translating and transforming our view of politics, pop culture, and personal preferences. In this episode, we discuss the ever-present issue of immigration. How do we, as followers of Christ, respond to the surge of people attempting to live in the United States and pursue that American dream? Let's get salty. Welcome to the Salted Podcast. My name is Yon. This is Dan. And today we're talking about a big, big, critical issue in our country, which seems to be critical almost every election cycle. We hear a lot about it, but it seems to keep popping up something we can't really resolve, and that is the issue of immigration and the situation at our borders. Yeah, which is ongoing. It's not new. Uh, it has been unresolved and seems unresolvable at yeah, times. Exactly. And if if you stick around with us till the end of the episode, we're also going to talk about a little personal preference in section about um, which one you prefer, which restaurant, Moe's or Chipotle. Not so easy. Yeah. But which way? You exactly. Wait to find <laughs> exactly. Out. So yeah, immigration. And uh, as as Dan, you said, I mean, it seems as though as long as I've been alive, or at least paying attention to politics. Um, and what's going on in the country, immigration is always an issue, and politicians are always talking about how they are going to fix it, and every four years there's big promises about how immigration is going to get fixed or how we need comprehensive immigration reform or what, whatever the, the conversation is, but it, it just seems to, to always be an issue, and over the last couple months it has, it has kind of ballooned into something that is, um, people are, are hesitant to say a crisis, I guess, depending upon which side of the alley around but it appears to be a crisis yeah and i also i think it's worth noting yon that if you are a casual um, observer of politics and pop culture and, and current events you might even as one of our listeners here you might you might avoid this topic right this might be a topic where you're kind of like oh, i've heard i don't really understand it or i'm so sick of it or all they there's no real solution mm-hmm. so i would actually caution our listener not not a caution how about this i'd be willing to bet that by the end of this you might learn that this crisis this situation is massively relevant if you follow jesus right yeah it's easy to switch off because yes. it's almost like just a gong, a consistent gonging bell that's, that's being right. rung over and over, and it's like, okay, well, really, this is just feels like just a ploy to get votes. Yep. Um, but as you said, it's it's very relevant to us as as followers of Jesus. So, um, I think probably the first place to start is because it has been so um, diluted. It feels like in terms of the conversation around it. I don't know, at least for myself. I didn't have a real sense of clarity around even what the conversation is and what are the specifics about what we're talking about because there's so much polarization around the way the media covers it, um, the way politicians talk about it, and um, kind of trying to bring alignment between what I believe as a Jesus follower and what's actually going on to speak with clarity. So I think probably the best place to start is kind of outlining common definition of terms, just clarity around some of the processes that the government uses in terms of immigration and asylum seekers and refugees, and um, that way we can have a, a foundation baseline for, for going forward. Yeah, and the, the reason why it's worth, I think, hashing out, Yon, is because 
essentially the result of this crisis is children in despair right and in massive major danger right yeah and so and the solution is only possible in a conversation around this by having a common understanding a common definition of what we're talking about and moving forward based on the laws that are currently in place and based on the objective of everyone it feels as though to to really help those kids and to help the people who are most vulnerable right so so i think probably a good place to start and um we're gonna i'm gonna throw a little bit of information at you so if you're if you're listening um listen close but and it's important so there's four really types of immigrant of immigrants in the united states so legally there's like four classifications it's a good place to start in terms of well what is an actual immigrant we, mm. we there's a lot of language around migrant or immigrant or illegal immigrant immigrant and there's really four specific kinds legally in the United States. And so really quickly, we'll go through those. The first is a U.S. citizen. So there are actually U.S. citizens who are immigrants, which means hmm. you're born outside of the United States and have never lived in the United oh, States, yeah. but you're born to an American mom or dad. I, so have U.S. U.S. citizenship. And so you moved to the United States to live here and you're technically an immigrant. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really think of that very often yeah. that there's an immigrant citizen. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was interested to learn that. Um, the second one is a lawful permanent resident status, right? So this is more commonly referred to as someone who is applying and receives the legal right to permanently live in the United States, and that's a green card. So most of us have probably heard of the green card. Uh, I myself am an immigrant with my family from Canada. I knew it. I yes. knew there was something. There's something off. Uh, you said off. Well, that's I was going to say something magical. Oh, yes. <laughs> Um, it's not an accent, unfortunately. I don't have the Canadian accent like <laughs> my dad. But um, So a lawful permanent resident, you apply, you get your green card, and you may qualify for citizenship after you live here for about three to four years. And in my case, it took 10 years from start to finish of applying for a green card, getting here, and then actually getting citizenship. Wow. So, um, and there's about a million of those granted every single year. Um, next one, temporary visitor status. So these are short periods of time with intention to return to where you came from so that's you know work permits and visas and stuff like that and then the fourth one is an undocumented immigrant so that's more commonly referred to as uh, an illegal immigrant living in the united states in an unlawful status and so it's important actually to note that um, when it comes to immigration and uh, the percentage of people who are living and residing in the united states illegally Actually, 62% of them didn't come into the country illegally. They came in legally and have overstayed their mm-hmm. legal ability to stay here. Right. So either through their visa or through their permanent residence status um, being revoked or something, they're here illegally still. Mm. So, so uh, essentially, that's a that's a pretty clear indicator of a, of a problem. Right, right. yes. There are people here who are not citizens um, quite yet. They don't have their green card. Um, they aren't necessarily even in application for citizenship. Correct. They are present legally using the visa system, but they've overstayed that expired visa. Right. So they know they're in violation and they're willingly to do it. Yeah, yeah. Probably gotcha. in the vast majority. So that's two-thirds of the people who have extended their right. stay beyond their legal ability and then another one-third who have come in illegally. Okay, so that's just the immigration category. That's just right. the immigrant category. Right, yeah. So it's helpful to say, okay, well, what are the different Im- levels of immigration? And legally speaking, those are them. Wow. There's another level. I mean, there's some, another group called refugees. That's a, that's a legal term, a term for individuals. Um, you've probably heard of refugees. You've probably heard of them globally around the world. A lot of big issues around Sir- a lot of Syrian refugees, a lot of war-torn uh, you know, Sudanese refugees, wherever you go and there's a major conflict, there's 
inevitably refugees who are um, generally people who are outside of our country and they are unable or unwilling to return home because they fear serious harm. Hmm. So um, the next one is an asylum seeker. So that's a little bit different than a refugee. And that's someone who comes to the United States seeking protection because they have suffered persecution or they fear that they will be, they will suffer persecution in their, in their, in their actual homeland. And it's due to race, religion, nationality, like member of a particular social group or a political opinion. Hmm. So, so they're afraid of being persecuted or the harm's going to come to them. So they're seeking yeah, would that asylum. be like, um, would that be like a genus, a candidate in a genocide, a national right. genocide, not yep. a candidate? A candidate. Why would you be a candidate for genocide? Well, a lot of people want to. <laughs> no, that's no. So, but but we got you. Yes, yeah, so yeah. it's someone who has the potential of being harmed or wait, suffer persecution. So, pretty interesting thing in that what the Trump administration did is is that they excluded gang and domestic violence as one of the things that actually qualifies you for asylum. So you could be on the run, but if you're on the run from gang activity or domestic violence, you wouldn't be categorized as an asylum Correct. seeker. Correct. Your, your asylum request would be dis- disqualified. So, um, And so it's actually, so an asylum seeker is someone who's similar to a refugee, but they haven't achieved refugee status. And they are a person who claims to be a refugee, but that claim has yet to be evaluated and judged on. So, so again, that's a, a lot of definitions in there, but it's a it's important to have the common definitions. There's some specific legal terms to refugees. There's a spe- specific legal terms to immigrants, and then to asylum seekers. And asylum seekers being a big one in our current um, situation at the mm-hmm. border. So, um, and you could see why, if you're hoping to stay in the U.S., you would you would claim, whether it's true or not, you would claim to be seeking asylum. Right. Exactly. And so there's a lot of obviously, if you know anything specifically southern border a lot of people come from central america and you know obviously gangs domestic violence you know a lot of really harmful issues so you show you show up to the united states and you you claim you want to need asylum because things are so bad in your home country that um they may be legitimate but then there's also an opportunity to say you know what i know how this the the rules work and i'm going to claim asylum um and i have to prove it eventually Mm -hmm. but So some of the numbers, I mean, if you're a numbers person, um, one of the things that has kind of expedited the conversation about this again is that it's a crisis in that there was, in March of 2021, there was 172,000 people trying to enter the U.S. illegally along the border in March. And so that's a 72,000% increase. So 100,000 to 172,000 people who are trying to cross that border illegally. And really the heart-wrenching part is the 19,000 of those are unaccompanied children. So that's um, a 7,500% increase from the highest it's ever been. Wow. So 7,500%? Right. So that's somewhere around like a 40% increase uh, from the highest it's ever been. Wow. So, uh, and so those are the definitions. Those are the numbers of people who are doing it. Um, And so I don't know about you, but I watch a lot of, listen to a lot of news and a lot of podcasts. And so it's sometimes difficult for me to ascertain what group of people are talking about, what legal status they have and the differences in terms of, it's just such a complicated web. Um, it's hard for me even to ascertain sometimes who these people are and what the status they have. So the crisis is that there's an overwhelming number of people, uh, adults and children who are crossing over the border and who are seeking asylum 
or uh, they're presently in the country and they're undocumented because their visa expired and they're obviously to get a visa you're not a citizen but they're still here right but the major crisis at the border has to do with uh, people crossing over seeking asylum that's right well they're claiming to that's right and so of those 172,000 people who are crossing the border there's a fascinating number where um, the acting uh, Department of Homeland Security had said that um, he there is an estimate between like 60 and 70 percent of those people are not attempting to cross over without being apprehended mm. so so they know they're sneaking in yeah no they 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 want to get they're not trying to avoid apprehension oh so 60 to 70 percent of them are crossing over knowing that they will be interjected by customs and border patrol um, and the reason is because they claim asylum they know they oh. know the process of which they will the the asylum situation the asylum seeking process occurs so it's a fascinating look into the how people are actually the crisis that's occurring is that people aren't just really trying to get in unobstructed and, and just sneak in they're trying to they're coming to the border they're trying to come across and they're intentionally being um apprehended by customs and border patrol because specifically the asylum seeking um process well that's that's um it's fascinating to consider that this is a complicated issue even before you factor in the smugglers the traffickers the um they would call them the coyotes right yeah. uh the drug cartels involvement in all of this i mean that's with if you add that it is i mean how is it not considered a humanitarian crisis Right. What's happening. Right. It feels right. as though when you have 172,000 people who are trying to enter illegally and a lot, 60, 70% of them are not trying to be not apprehended right. because they are seeking asylum. That feels as though that's a pretty significant crisis mm-hmm. where in a month you've got tens of thousands of people who are saying we need help mm. and it's uh, becoming a, a institutional kind of a crisis for the Customs and Border Patrol people in terms of their capacity to process all these things. So, so the um, the image in in one's mind that all of these people are sneaking over under the cover of night, trying not to get caught. Right. It's that's really not the crisis. Right. It seems though, based upon what they're telling us, is that that's not really the huge issue. Ah. Uh-huh. And so the huge, and this is why the common the definition of terms is important, is because usually we use the term illegal immigrant to. to or the news agencies and media and people use the term illegal immigration and illegal immigrant. But really what most of these people are turning out to be is that they are asylum seekers. So they are requesting asylum based on the conditions of their homeland being worse than they are here. Yes. And so the process by which they get here to the United States includes the dangerous migration from Central America to the border, which usually includes coyotes, human traffickers, cartels, who um, obviously exploit those people and almost enslave them. Now now we're getting to the heart of why I think we have to have a podcast conversation about this, right? Because as much as uh, it's easy to avoid because it's kind of like... um, you know, it's you're so desensitized to it, or you hear these politicians running for office, and they're sparring over it. And 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 if you if you're old enough, um, you know, old enough, it's like, are we talking about this again? This right. is never truly addressed or solved. And right. you know, 
But the heart of why this has to be considered, if you are a believer, you belong to Jesus, is because of what's happening to innocent people. Right. Um, in particular, the complicated way in which they're being exploited right. by all these um, major predators. Right. And Wow. And, and so they're exploited and they get to the border, right? So the process of getting there isn't the things that they have to sacrifice and get exploited by the people who can actually get them to the border. Um, and that's not even really where it ends for them. They, the, the, that's just kind of the process of their, <laughs> of their right. asylum seeking. And I think one of the things that might be helpful is describing a little bit about the process. Once someone is an asylum seeker, they show up to the border. They, they try to cross, they get um, caught up or they seek asylum. And then this is kind of where the news is kind of taking over in terms of, the things we're seeing, images, we're seeing a bunch of kids packed into these, um, jammed into these little you know, holding cells, holding cells yeah. who have little space blankets, and they're so like lying shoulder to shoulder, head to toe. They got very little room. And um, talking about the those images are disturbing because the problem is is that once they hit the border, there's a specific process that is legally mandated that with this number of people becomes a, a massive issue mm. for our for our systems for our institutions so um really quickly i think it's helpful to notice to, to to kind of just articulate the process just so we can all have clarity around what it actually is and so so any kid or any individual who shows up who seeks asylum they usually get interjected by the customs and border patrol they're the primary the initial interaction with those people and so those people the customs and border patrol takes those people unaccompanied minors or adults and they have holding facilities and so they have a holding facility, and so they are legally required to to hand over those people. And specifically, when we're talking about the kids, unaccompanied minors, they have to hand those kids over after three days. So they have three days to process them, to kind of get them, kind of identify who they are, and then hand them over to, to uh, Health and Human Services for care. Mm. And Health and Human Services cares for them, and then also they use the Office of Refugee um, Replay or um, Office of Refugee um, Placement to identify sponsors that probably relocation relocation yeah Office yeah. of Refugee Relocation to identify sponsors if they're an un- unaccompanied minor and to connect them with that sponsor so it's a family member or someone that they know that they can connect them with so you real quick when we see images of these kids right under one administration they were saying uh, the media would call it a kids in cages now I've heard kids in containers holding centers um um uh, either way when they're when we see these images those are children who are there but for a maximum of three days so that is what it's supposed to be the customs and border patrol are supposed to only hold them for three days but because of the overwhelming number of kids and people in general that number extends almost sometimes into like a 30 day where they are that's when we're seeing those kids in those in quote-unquote cages right um and so they are then responsible to go to health and human services and health and human services are also having a bit of an issue. Like they right. are, they're doing stuff like renting out the Dallas like convention center mm-hmm. as a place to house, you know, teenagers who are right. coming across because they don't have anywhere else to put them. And I saw they're setting them, uh, setting aside military bases, right. barracks to house them in. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so one of the real challenges is that they have to find a sponsor for an unaccompanied minor. And there's some pretty, stringent requirements for a, a, a sponsor to be found. First of all, it has to be usually a family member, someone who's willing to do 
a couple of really important things, right? They have to be suitable to provide for the child's physical and mental well-being, right? So that's probably pretty hard to do. If you have a child who shows up to the border with who's unaccompanied, first of all, I, re- I read a story of one Border Patrol agent who said, I asked them where they were going, this child, and they said, I don't know. All, all I know is that it snows there. Oh, my goodness. So it's like, oh, well, Syracuse. Yeah, Syracuse. <laughs> yep. Um, but there's a lot of things that had to be suitable to... I mean, the child could just say, I'm just looking, I'm just going somewhere um, more stable than the, than the current position I'm in. But it sounds like that the people that they have to, that they have to find a sponsor who's a family member, uh, they literally have to be more stable physically and mentally right. than the child. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so these people have to pass a background check. They have to ensure this child's presence at future immigration proceedings. They uh-huh. have to agree to ensure that the, so this is a big one if ice they have to agree to bring that child back to ice immigration custom enforcement if their asylum request has been denied so that they can be deported wow. back to their repatriated wow. they say wow so they gotta are, deliver their this yeah. child that's made it all the way right to your home then their asylum request is denied and then you have right. to deliver them for deportation. Right. Usually a family Let me member, guess. Right? Yeah. Let me guess. Right. Exactly. Low so, percentage. Of yeah. So just there's a lot of challenges like just practically and pragmatically around helping someone find a sponsor. So, um, but it's a, I mean, and so, so there are some, those, these are the, these are why these are the images that we see. There's mm-hmm. a, the system is overwhelmed and there's, um, they ever are the government, the customs border patrol, health and human services, Office of Refugee Relocation. I mean, they're all working as fast as they can and as quickly as they can, but they also have a requirement to care for the well-being of those kids and to not just release them to someone who is not actually a sponsor or yes. a relative or someone that can actually care for their physical and mental well-being better than they can. Right. So, By the way, I just heard from our fact checkers, and they're, oh. uh, they're, they're, they have corrected our reference to the ORR, it's the Office of Refugee Resettlement. Oh. So so currently we are only right 99.8% of the time. Well, I mean, thank you for that You're welcome. administrative assistant we have in the fact checker in there <laughs> outside of our sound booth. The system here. works. That's right. The yeah. system works. Yep. And so I know it's a lot of technical terminology, but I think it's important for us to really think the, 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 the actual details of what we're talking about and the actual process in which we are ident- And we're not just watching social media stories about people staging photo shoots outside of um, outside of you know fences we're not looking at people who are just exploiting these things to to make a political point like kids in cages or um, the doesn't matter what president's a president I mean there's similar situations but everyone's just using them for political points and so these are the, this is the actual process in which people yeah. are going through, and this is why we're seeing images that we're seeing, and this is it's, why it's so disturbing. Right. I think it's helpful to hear all that, to to get a grasp of how complicated this really is, and this is probably a good reason, good part of the reason why it has not been solved. All those things have to happen. All those categories. All those, uh, uh, in some cases, legitimate asylum seekers who are in need. And also illegitimate that have to be filtered out, right. right? Yep. And so, if this is the process and this is the the, the situation, these are the, the the legal requirements. And then, then obviously, there's if you pay attention to this at all, there's always 
different sides of an argument, making different points and prioritizing different points of this very complex mm-hmm. situation. Um, and generally, there's kind of two camps. And I know this really isn't um, necessarily a sometimes a left and right issue, but it's a there's a lot of different overlap. But there's usually two camps, and, and the one camp is really the the camp that prioritizes the idea that we are a nation of law and order, and that immigration laws need to be followed. And if we don't have borders, we're not a nation. Right. Yeah. The, one of the things that contributes to the national identity is, you know, customs and borders and language and stuff like that. Right. So, um, yeah, so there's that one camp and, and they would argue, I would think, um, from what I can, from here is that, is that these, these laws, these immigration laws, and they have to be followed and, um, because they protect American citizens, right? They, they protect legal residents in the United States who's the, that's the government's primary role in protecting and and meeting the needs of where they're duty bound to primarily protect those who are here legally right so they're preferring this particular camp would prefer those who are already documented already citizens of the country right and it's not not necessarily that that side wants to neglect the undocumented or the asylum seeker but that to do so um uh if they gave preference to one if they prioritize one over the other, they choose the citizen, right. the law-abiding citizen. Right, exactly. And then in addition to that, they want they, they, they want to enforce these laws because there are people who are, who are applying for U.S. asylum and citizenship and permanent residency through the proper channels, the legal channels, and they would say, well, those people are going to be harmed because the immigration system is so overwhelmed mm-hmm. processing all these other um, applications that the people who've been waiting in line who are doing it quote-unquote the right way gotcha. are, are are kind of left behind um, and then they would also argue that I mean these laws are important because they preserve like the foundations of prosperity in the United States and the question is like how many people can the um, can the United States absorb right I mean do you overwhelm the economic system and the, the amount of money that we have? Is there a scarcity issue mm. where the more you can't just open your borders to everybody right. and everyone? So it's the same reason why most couples at some point or other stop having children because there's an economic right. um, um, aspect to it that they have to consider. Right? right. Exactly. You can't have 27 children if you have limited income right. or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Um, and then last thing, they, I mean, the idea that the that laws are important because they represent the very thing that makes this country so desirable to mm, come to in the first place sure, is yeah. that if, you know, there, people are fleeing countries where there is no law and order, and if we just ignore the laws that are here and don't and don't actually enforce them, that then the country then becomes something that, you know, what's the, that's one of the things that makes it so prosperous and so sure. desirable. So, so then you become the country that they're fleeing. Right. Essentially. Yep, exactly. So, so that's kind of one camp, I think. All right. What's the other one? Um, the other one is kind of like a weird nation, like a, we're a nation of compassion, you know, who welcomes these most vulnerable. Mm. Um, and again, these aren't mutually exclusive camps, but it's just kind of the ones that people prioritize. I've heard this one described as the city on a hill. Right. Right. Yep. And so it's a, we are a city on a hill on a, in, when we look at specifically Central America, I mean, the, the conditions there compared to what the opportunities are here in, in the United States and. And they would say that, you know, we welcome and care for these people because they are valuable inherently and they need protection because they are the most vulnerable. And we're, we're capable of doing that uh, as a country. We even have a statue of liberty that describes, you know, give us me your poor, your downtrodden, yeah. where that embodies the, the American ethos of give us your most vulnerable, we'll right. protect them, we'll care for them. And then they also say, I mean, these people actually contribute to the prosperity. They don't detract and that they contribute to the economic um, conditions that we're in 
in ways that most people don't really even yeah, understand. And I've heard them saying that they actually, these immigrants take and fill jobs that quote unquote Americans won't right. take. Exactly. Yep. Um, and then they actually say the same thing as the other campus, that, that the, the idea of bringing these people in represents the very thing that makes this country so unique, is that we have empathy and we're willing to sacrifice for them and we, um, we have a melting pot of diversity. So, um, so it's two camps that are not mutually exclusive in what they believe, but they are kind of prioritizing different things in when they think of, well, what's the solution and how do we right. even approach this this issue? So this fight is basically, in, let's just categorize it as a po- political fight. The political fight has two sides. One side says there are laws and order, and that's going to create a system that is beneficial for both the immigrant and also the country. Right. And the other side basically is saying, what good is a country who keeps all these people out, makes it so hard to right. get in that... Uh, we have all this wealth and prosperity and freedom uh, opportunity. Why would we not offer it to more people right. uh, with less restriction and and um, less complicated processes? Right. Yeah, that's perfect. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not generally either or. It's just a, really a prioritization of one right. of those things. Gotcha. So, um, and so I think, I mean, usually if you look at this, I mean, there's cynical views of looking at things as well right and which is usually gets a lot of attention and a lot of um a lot of clickbait out there and people who are looking for engagement because they are advocating a cynical view of the of the opposites of the opposite okay. opposing view um mostly if you're looking at the at the side that values they say we want laws and we want law and order and um if you're cynical you're going to hear people say like oh those people are just using that as an excuse because they're really in just they're just really racist against Central uh, Americans and Latinos and, and people who are, they perceive as invaders of their country. Right? Gotcha. Um, and then the, the, the cynical solution, when you look at the other side, they would, they would lob back the grenade of saying, well, you just are, you just want open borders and you just want more people here because you want to expand your voting block. You want to bring them all in, then you want to give them citizenship. And then you know that they're going to demographically vote for your party for life. yeah for life and you're going to give them all this stuff and that's that's why right yeah. so we just are kind of lobbing hand grenades at so each other so you're buying votes correct is the cynical view on one side the other side is buying votes and the cynical view on the other side is that um you're racist and you want to keep these people out right exactly so and i don't and again you're going to see a lot of that maybe in the media or social media or social media but um i think and, generally speaking that's probably not true for most people right it it probably has a thread of truth right there's sure. a there's an extreme element or perhaps uh, i mean who knows who right. are we to judge whether it's a thin thread or if it's uh, but that would definitely be a more cynical view yep and so this really ultimately comes down to well again the question is well why does this matter for us mm-hmm. and this is a problem for us as jesus followers who are trying to navigate this because we are asked we have to ask ourselves a question well what is more urgent do we want to protect people or do we want to protect healthy prosperous public policies yeah right which yeah. inherently protect people as well right i mean that's such a it's such a challenging question <laughs> yeah right just think of it if you if you walked up to a regular run-of-the-mill church family member uh, here at our home church and we said uh, regarding this topic you have two choices do you want uh, to protect people who are vulnerable, or do you want to protect the prosperous policies that are healthy, that are that, that bring health in our public uh, function, right? Uh, 
pick one. I mean, right. it's, a, it's an impossible choice. Right. right. It's literally a question of which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Right. And yeah. sadly, I think that's sadly where the narrative always leads to. It's always a binary choice of you can't really have one right. or the other. You you got to pick one side, right? Um, and as followers of Christ, I mean, that's usually not the way to go, right. right? We don't usually pick one or the other. It's We can probably have both. But that's the problem it presents for us is, as followers of Jesus. Well, how do we actually help engage and solve this issue? Um, and yeah, we have a, it's a complicated, it's a paradox, right? Between we have biblical commands and biblical principles that talk about welcoming and loving immigrants, which you'll, you'll talk about here in a second. And also that we're supposed to be subject to the governing authorities. And right. so, right, um, exactly. So, so again, there you go with this, this competing contrast, right? Uh, welcome and love immigrants or be subject to governing authorities and the law and order that has been reasonably due process put in place yep exactly and so that's the tension that we have and that's the problem the root of the problem of of kind of the process and and the problem that we have and i think the bible provides us some biblical some some pretty clear principles on how we as followers of jesus as we look at this massive problem this very complex and nuanced problem the question is what do we do about it yeah and that's yeah. where you come in. That's your job. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is probably why a lot of church leaders don't address this very boldly. Yeah. Because it's it's uh, basically a question of what do you prioritize. Right. Um, the biblical worldview, I think, does provide solution, uh, a solution um, as to how a Christian should face this issue. Um, there are definitely biblical guidelines or principles that can help us navigate it. Um, and I think that we could start with choosing what issue this is in God's kingdom, right? Because first of all, as we've said, I think in, in a lot of the transformational worldview approaches that we've taken, we've had to start by saying, which view here are we seeing what lens are we using right. and the lens that we would have to use is the god's kingdom lens right and so in god's kingdom is this an issue of law and order or is this an issue of human compassion hmm. yeah so that's one question that we have to ask and the other question we have to ask is uh, do we accept the tension can we accept the tension that there's competing biblical emphasis on or of caring for the alien refugee, but also submitting to the laws of the land. So we have to we have to um, choose which issue it is, and also accept that these issues are competing, and they're tense, right. and they're and they're competing with one another. Um, you know, the danger I think worth mentioning, Yon, is that for for most of us, we have to have the courage to accept and and really articulate a gospel centered disciple of Jesus Christian worldview when we approach this issue because if we don't do that on purpose with intentionality with conviction then what happens is our approach to this issue gets shaped by news commentators public policy politics yep. right so so that's the danger the danger is I am I'm having my view shaped by sources that are outside God's kingdom right and therefore, my solution and my convictions aren't necessarily kingdom convictions right. or biblical convictions right. or God-given convictions. Right. So that's the real danger is that 
we really um, haven't thought through how does God's kingdom principles apply to help us sort. It doesn't solve it necessarily, but it does help us. It does help us as believers. And that's uh, almost. It feels almost impossible to do if you're just consuming just general mass media, corporate media, sure, like normal. Um, mediums by which we get information because it feels like everyone is pushing a narrative and everyone's advocating for a side and those sides are very rarely kingdom sides they're not specifically related to how do we embody biblical principles and advance god's kingdom as opposed to how do i advance my political agenda or get get clicks but keep in mind the crafty and i think brilliant politicians have found a way to tie the heartstrings to their kingdom building the heartstrings of christians right um, and I think that they do that, they do that brilliantly. And, um, one of the things that happens to us when we see this, these issues as primarily political and we're watching them on the news media and we're seeing them covered by news commentators and politicians, one of the things that just happens instinctively is none of these people have a human face. Right. They are literally just a political policy or a cause and... I think that probably a lot of our listeners, and I'm assuming you, Yon, I know for myself this is true, everything changes about your convictions when you meet a real person who is battling or facing something complicated that you once had a very cut and dry, black and white, one all or nothing vantage point. Then all of a sudden you meet someone, right? I'll give you an example. There are people that I know in, in, you know, certainly have been in my circles and beyond who are absolutely all in on uh, um, describing and proclaiming and standing very, very firm on the evils and the unbiblical um, uh, decision to divorce. Right. Right. And eventually some of those same people experience a divorce or have a loved one who is in the process of divorce or whatever and i'm not suggesting that their convictions change right but man does their their words change their their attitude changes their approach changes it's it's suddenly with a human face someone you know love and care about the human face dramatically changes the way you approach it so one of the dangers for believers is that we see this as a news story and we and we somehow fail to approach this as um, uh, um, you know these undocumented people as people who have a right. face. It's a complex topic, right. and it opens the doors um, really of of the story that's behind each of these people, the right. needy people. Which is why it's actually which is why those you know conversations really get started and narratives start being um, driven by I mean things like kids in cages, like that's mm-hmm. like. It's only a catchy because there's a picture of children behind what looks to be like that looks like they're in a cage, or it looks like where you see images of all of these kids who, ironically, you can't see their face because they blur them out for right. their own protection. But but you see them all stacked up on each other, and you're like, okay, you know, that's really when people start voicing their concern because, well, that's a suddenly I realize with my eyes, this isn't a number on a piece of paper. It's not a politician talking on a. It's I'm looking at images of kids and I envision, I, I envision like my daughter, I envision like my nieces and nephews yeah. who are scared foreign, and a foreign country, foreign country. They don't have any idea what they're doing. They're jam- like, here you go. Here's a, here's a room full of 35 oh other kids. Gosh. And you, you just, 
Right. It suddenly you realize, okay, yeah, this is this is not a public talking point. These are people and these are individuals, and even more so when you get to know someone personally who is struggling with these yeah, things. Yeah, and God knows their name. He knows every hair on their head, and, and it's it's so critical for us to realize that God knows these not as policies, but uh, not as people who are violating a policy, but they know God knows these as, as human faces and people. So uh, when we think of biblical solutions for addressing you know, the distress of any real, any, any immigrant, mm-hmm. here's what we know biblically. We know that there's never a solution that includes turning your back on these people. The marginalized, the oppressed, the um, um, the outsider, so to speak. There's never a solution to expect, really, biblically, there's never a solution where one is supposed to expect the government or someone else to care for them. Hmm. Also, biblically, there's never a solution that includes ignoring our personal responsibility while we wait for the politicians to get the law and order reinstated, the, the, scripturally, biblically, we are compelled to be a part of the solution and not to wait around for someone else to take care of it. Much less, I mean, at the very least, uh, waiting around right. for the government to fix it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So those are some things that we know can't be true if you have a biblical worldview. It's not the government. Uh, it's it's not a policy to ignore them, and certainly it's not a um, it's not a policy or it's not a solution to um, let someone else get it uh, get it taken care of or figured out. So that's a pro- that's a te- so we got that tension like that's what the biblical principle is. You can't turn your back. We can't let the government do it, and we can't ignore our own responsibilities. Right. So then the question then becomes, well. What do we do it? What what solutions? Are yeah. There? Well, there's two kingdom solutions that are always at play, and this is why we did this podcast. We did this podcast because these solutions are in competition with one another, hmm. and the solutions have to do with your worldview. Are you an American kingdom worldview? Is that your worldview for an American kingdom and building the American kingdom, or is your worldview a Christian kingdom build God's kingdom worldview? Right. And they are often right opposed to each other they are diamet they're in competition clashing with each other and so we have to constantly be assessing what is the way in which i view this if i'm expanding advancing building investing and living in god's kingdom Uh, the reason why jesus came to bring god's kingdom to earth so so there are solutions if you're if you're an american political kingdom solution you might have a very very knee-jerk easy solution which is get in line right right um sure i'm for i'm for i understand what uh, what you guys are saying and and i think that uh, the best approach is to tell all these illegals just do it legally get in line yep. right that's that's one view the other one the other view would obviously be as you pointed out just come on in right right so that's an american political kingdom solution either get in line or come on in um and by the way i don't I, I don't believe that most on either side have a view that says go home. Right. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't believe that. I think that. Um, I think that most most humans who see these faces, uh, they want to. They want to find a way to help. You know, right. They both identify the the problem, and they want ultimately a solution for yeah. those people. It's just how do you get to that right. solution? What's right. the middle part? Right. And of course, you know, Yon, we could 
very well be accused at this point if someone's listening to this who's been following this topic. This is the part where they say, well, obviously Dan and Yon really don't know how these people are functioning on the right. other side of the political aisle, right? right but right. we do. Right. But we do. <laughs> yeah. We just choose not to take the most extreme version of the of the other side politically and say, well, that's normal. Right. The most, ex- you know, and I could say when I see somebody on the news portraying my side politically and they portray us as extreme, you know, <laughs> racist, bigoted, angry, hateful people, I'm kind of like, I don't like how. Uh, I don't like how that's being portrayed in an extreme way. I also wouldn't want to do that to the other side. Right. Right. So, yeah. so we don't do that. Um, so the Christian kingdom, oh, by the way, in the American political system, the activist legislators are writing laws and uh, the elected officials are empowering the enforcement of those laws. So in our political kingdom, our American political kingdom, there are people at work who either say, get in line or come on in, and then they are uh, legislating, uh, they are empowering elected officials, elected officials are empowering law enforcement to, to follow the laws. Okay, that's, right. the, that's the American kingdom uh, solution. So, so then, my favorite part, this brings us to what's the Christian kingdom solution? Well, in summary, it's a welcome the stranger policy. Hmm. Jesus uh, has a lot to say about strangers showing up at your door, right? Sure. Now, now we know that Jesus is primarily talking about a stranger showing up on your door personally, right? Right, but it's fair, I think, to interpret this as also the people of God, as the Church of God, having strangers show up on the doorstep of the American Church. Right. Okay, yeah. yep. so so Jesus on strangers showing up at the door. Um, is describing a compassionate church, and he describes a compassionate church made up of hospitable believers. And Jesus really demonstrates, and, and he teaches a limitless hospitality for strangers. And he does that by teaching this this incredible, um, telling this incredible story. And and um, you you have to be you have to you have to be very alert that in the Bible Jesus describes himself in the story. By the way, as a stranger. But there are biblical categories of immigrant, too. Stranger, right. there's the word refugee, alien, sojourner, right? Someone who's just kind of passing through. They're not a resident or a citizen, but they're passing through. And then Jesus describes basically in this same category, he uses a phrase, least of these. Mm. So when Jesus is talking about strangers, refugees, aliens, undocumented, whatever, he, right. he refers to them as the least of these. And it's this. there's this picture he he describes of the final judgment and in the final judgment he describes the son of man who has come in his glory and all the angels are there with him and then he sits on his glorious throne and jesus said the nations are gathered in his presence and then jesus separates people as a shepherd would separate his flock the sheep from the goats who don't belong to him and then and then it's incredible because he doesn't describe the people who are faithful, the people who are obedient necessarily, or the people who are, but but instead what he describes is, he says he's going to put the, the sheep on one side and the goats on the other. And the king will say to those sheep on the right, come, you who are blessed by the Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And then Jesus said, here's why. 
Here's why. I was hungry. You fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick. You cared for me. I was in prison. You visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, I don't really remember doing that. And, and, And I especially don't remember seeing you hungry, seeing you thirsty, seeing you Um, a stranger showing you hospitality. I certainly didn't see you naked and give you clothing. When did we ever see you sick or in prison? And the king will say, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So in this category of least of these, Jesus is including all these outsiders, all those oppressed, all those who are refugee and whatever. And then he says that his sheep are the ones who welcomed them in and provided for their needs. And when they did that, they were actually extending that hospitality to Jesus. I mean, that's that's, that's mind-boggling. Yeah, it's pretty fascinating to even see the idea of inheriting the kingdom of God. So we get access to a place that is far beyond the difference between Central America and the United States, right? We get access to the kingdom of God. Not primarily because of what we do, but he's saying because you did this for the least of these, you are essentially welcomed in and accepted to this beautiful, incredible place because of what you did to the least of these. And and what he means to say is you demonstrated that you you had transformed heart that was expressing the kind of grace the kind of hospitality that I expressed to you because right. you are an outsider yep. and I brought you in. Yep. And he doesn't say you actively advocated for policies that the government right, right. invited people and cared for people and that's why you inherited the kingdom. You protested God. the bad policies. That's and, right. You right. yeah, you no, it's it's a very personal you did this. That's right. And the, the categories are pretty broad. It's hungry, thirsty, right? Yep. Just a stranger, you know, naked, sick and in in prison, right? I mean those are so, so you might say, you know, as you interpret this yourself as an astute um, uh, student of the Bible, probably listening to our podcast, you might say, this is not exactly who Jesus was talking about. I can tell you this, though. It's also, Jesus is also not excluding right. these people. Right. Right. It may not be exactly who he's talking about, but it's certainly not excluding. It, it's under the category here of uh, the least of these. Right. So, and this is where the the the, uh, the difference, like you said, in the American kingdom or the or the, the the Jesus kingdom, the kingdom of God, it's it's like a lot of times we filter this through. Well, they're not in they're uh, they're applying for permanent residency, or they're an asylum seeker, or they're a refugee. We 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 build in American legal terms and apply them to, yeah. and we inject them into sure. the biblical terms, and we're like, okay, well, maybe not. I mean, let's. There's probably a meta category here that Jesus is talking about. That includes all of these people that fit one of those or sure. all of those categories. So. Yeah. Well, he finishes telling this story by describing the goats. And the goats are the people who had the same opportunity to welcome them in, the least of these, and they didn't. And Jesus says to them, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. And the goats will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. So what he's saying is the sheep belong to me because they demonstrated the kind of grace and hospitality I expressed to them. Right. And they, in turn, had the grace and hospitality to extend to the least of these when they welcomed it. So Jesus seems to be saying 
that his followers would be working on the border, caring for, uh, supporting, uh, taking into their home these people in crisis who have a face and right. who are known and loved by God, yep. that he probably would not be doing his work in the governing halls of Washington, D.C., or the State House or the Capitol building right. or the federal buildings down right. on the border. Yep. And we're not excluding the idea that those things are important. That's but right. But generally what we see is that that is the primary and only thing that most of us advocate for. That's we say the, we're, we're not going to go down there and do it ourselves. We're not going to take personal responsibility, but we are going to advocate so that somebody else does it on our yeah, behalf. Yeah. I mean, this, if you take this to heart, you know, this, this, this really is soul wrecking. Yeah. It's like a, it's a gut punch. It is me. a gut punch because if you take this to heart as a believer, if you say, this is really what Jesus said, this is what he right. intended. Yep. Then we don't let ourselves get away with thinking, ah, they're just going to fix this policy. Well, you know, let's make sure that we send enough money to support these, these law changes and enforce border and patrol enforcement and so on and none of that's wrong or bad but like i said it's a it's a it's a choice which kingdom would jesus be advancing and investing his life in and and you know is he saying here that his christian church is the solution for solving the border crisis i think he is right he's saying that the southwestern christians southwestern churches and you know <laughs> and beyond that they're the ones responsible for welcoming these children, the least of these, into their homes. So imagine one of the solutions, the church rising up, you know, because of Jesus' words and example, right. and because he's empowered us in our heart to do this with hospitality and grace. Imagine the church, the mighty church, rising up and not letting it be schluffed off to the politicians or to laws or policies or agencies or border patrol agents or whatever. Imagine the church yeah. standing up and saying, we're taking these kids. Right. And so, wait, 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 they're not taking this kids. Right, yeah. In context, that's right, a bad right. phrase. We're, we're taking care of. We're, taking we care are of taking kids. responsibility for yep. them in terms of their care and their protection. Yep. And I think the, 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 the deeply disturbing thing is that not only, in, for the most part, as myself included, not only do I not do that, take personal responsibility, and I slough my responsibility off to the government, but then I have the audacity to complain about the way in which they yeah, are doing it. Yeah. And it's like... That's true. It's like, well, I mean, they're not really designed to do that. They, God didn't design mm. the system to do that, to care for those people. No wonder. Like, well, you do it's it. A disaster. And, then I, and then I just complain about it the whole yeah. time. Yeah, and you do. I do. <laughs> no wonder it's a disaster. You can't hear me pounding the table, but <laughs> I have been. It's, it's, um, it's a mess because there's a missing element and this has been heavy on my heart as I think about this and as we've kind of prayed through and talked through presenting this, you know, I'm responsible for doing my part. Right. I'm responsible for doing my part with uh, the least of these and welcoming them in. And I feel compelled to find a way to be a part of the solution. And, you know, it, it would, it, it could just simply start, for most of us, it starts this way. Uh, we, when we're viewing this crisis, Jesus has given us a lens here. And it forces the question, do I see this issue as mainly a problem to be solved, or is this uh, an issue of people to be to love, hmm. right? It's not a problem to solve primarily. Right. It's got to be solved, but it's not primarily. But primarily, it's a people 
to love. And, and, and it's my duty to view immigrants not as problems that have to be fixed, but as people who Jesus also died for right. and also wants to know and reach and reach through the hospitality and the compassion of, of his people. Created in the image of God, image bearers. And... Exactly, exactly. Uh, and I think we lose credibility um, with our neighbors when, while we proclaim Christ's love to them and do our preachy, preachy church message that we communicate also intentionally or otherwise that we dislike immigrants, right? that we don't want them here because uh, they mess up our system and they take our resources and we wish they weren't a part of our communities because we don't understand them and they're not going to be assimilated into our country. And we have to be so careful. You know, I mean, did Jesus... Did Jesus make a big deal out of uh, all of those issues? He didn't seem to. And by the way, did and certainly I just read this story, but but Jesus didn't say, "Look, feed them, clothe them, take them in," if they haven't broken any laws. Right. Make Only sure you do a background check. Yep. Find out if these people are legal or illegal. If they've broken yep. any laws, he didn't say that. Here's he said the process. Right. Right. He said, "I came to your door in the in the form of these, the least of these, and you welcome me in." Now, obviously, for you literalists out there, we don't say, if there's a stranger at your door, welcome them in, right. you know, and ask them if they want to pick their bedroom to sleep in in your right. house. Uh, we're primarily focusing on here children and also using wisdom yep. uh, here. So welcoming the stranger and to do otherwise, really, we fall prey to angry fear towards the outsider. And and, um, and that and that's happened through all, all of American history. Yeah. So one of the things that we, um, as Christians and followers of Christ, as we attempt to apply biblical principles and live according to these gut-punching <laughs> statements that Jesus made is, you know, how do we even talk about this crisis mm. in conversation with people? And as we want to be people translating and transforming our world with, with the gospel, like, yeah. How do we even talk about it? Well, Russell Moore has a lot to say in this, and I appreciate his insight. And he's he's courageous in his, certainly in his leadership, his cultural leadership as a Christian. And um, and he says it's horrifying to hear that there are people identifying themselves with the gospel, and then they speak, um, and, and whatever their position on the issues, they speak with mean-spirited disdain for the immigrants themselves. Right. Um, not about political recognizing that this is a, not about political policies or culture wars but about persons who are as you said you know they're made in the image of god uh, no less a person than we are and our churches have to they have to um, represent and become the presence of jesus to all these people regardless of the country or origin or their legal status uh, and we need to protect them. So we're the presence of Jesus, right. right? We incarnate who he is in and among these these immigrants. And there's a part of me that's kind of like just really itching, wishing I was closer. And we could somehow, uh, I mean, we'll have to right. pray for wisdom on how to do this as active uh, leaders and believers. But, um, but not just the presence of Jesus incarnating, but also we need to protect them from, stand against hatred and, and bias and bigotry and harassment exploitation even when it's politically profitable um for those who stand with us on on other issues right yep so most importantly he says we must practically love our brothers and sisters in the immigrant communities practically in practical ways 
and our commitment to a multinational kingdom of God, uh, his reconciliation in Jesus has to be evident. In other words, we commit to the multi-ethnic kingdom of God and reconciliation back to Jesus includes people who are here illegally. Right. Right. Um, so, and that's, I think it's, go ahead. No, I think one of the things that, as you say that it's, I'm when I evaluate my own lens in which I view this, right. It, the, the question is when we look at, um, some of the demonizations and the cynical ways in which we look at either side of the, of the aisle on, in terms of why they would be advocates for, uh, their certain camp and the idea that it, it in my mind it those issues become secondary when I think of the impact of loving those people and um, introducing them to Jesus and and prioritizing their disciple making and becoming followers of Christ over the advancement of American rules and regulations mm. for for example if like do I even where does it fall on my list of priorities to care about even if someone's goal is to flood our country with people so that right. they can have a voter base and win elections. Right. Do I think, okay, well, where does that fall in my priorities in terms of, well, okay, there's people here. It doesn't, do I necessarily need to care as my ultimate concern of why people right. were brought here as opposed to they are here, they're exactly. vulnerable and they are people who are made in the image of God. What's my responsibility? And is my responsibility to be like, well, I'm not going to, can't possibly interact with them or help them because then I'm just going to propagate the problem right. and then we're going to, it's all going to just keep going. It's like, well, that's not my ultimate responsibility. My ultimate responsibility is to, maybe that's important. Maybe that's three, four or five on the list. But number one on the list is these are people made in the image of God. They, if they need protection and need help and they need being introduced to, to Jesus, that's my ultimate responsibility. Yeah, it reminds me of Jesus's little phrase. I think we've heard so many times in the election cycles, but or election seasons, and that is render under Caesar what Caesar's, right? So Jesus doesn't say, don't follow the laws. He doesn't say, don't care about the laws. He says, there are things that belong to Caesar, which I would interpret as that's American kingdom building kingdom systems, right? right? And he doesn't say, ignore them, defy them, unless it obviously is, is a, it, it demands sin against God. But I can kind of interpret it this way. I hear Jesus saying to us, you can fix the laws, you can enforce the laws. You can support politicians that want policy fixes and care for people. Right. It's not mutually exclusive. We do not have to pick one side or other. I believe you can be on the front lines of giving care to the least of these, welcoming them into your um, hospitable care while you're also supporting the laws that bring order and bring health and right. process and, yep. and our maximum benefit for the prosperity of the immigrants too. Yep. Ironically, as you read that in my, when I think of the way it would impact me, I, I almost have to flip those two. I have to say, I can care for the immigrant, love them and introduce them to Jesus. And I can advocate for public policy only because in my own mind, I tend towards the, sure. I'm a big picture, like, let's politically engage. Let's talk about public policy. Yeah. But in my own life, like, that's that seems to be the thing that I primarily focus on as opposed, and I'm like, and, and, I'll, and an I'll do the other things. And as it opposed, becomes an excuse, right? right? For, it is one, it's a, the easiest thing to do. Yeah. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. No. It's easy to say, well, someone else will take care of it, or, hey, just let them all in, and we'll just figure it out, and... Um, it doesn't matter really the implications because it feels good for me. I don't have to work through the impacts and stuff like that. It's it's 
it's lazy on multiple levels if we just let someone else care about it or we just say, hey, let everyone else come on in and whatever. Yeah, and and it's easy to say, look, these people are breaking the laws so they they get what they deserve, right? right. If they're in chaos and confusion or whatever, they've broken the law. Right. But is it is it, I think it's, re, um, I think it's worth reminding us, ourselves, that um, all of us who've been taken in by Jesus were lawbreakers, yep. right? I mean, that's the beauty of the gospel is that while we were still lawbreaking sinners, he was hospitable and died in our place. So, so he did, I mean, thank God he didn't say, hey, get back out there, follow the law, and when you do, I'm going to welcome you in. Right, yep. And that's a that's a game changer for sure. Yeah, and it's a it's a. I mean, like we've been saying this whole time, it's a gut punch in terms of thinking, what kind of radical reorientation do I need to do in my life? You know, if I'm, if I really, if I am transformed, and is it transforming the way I live? Yeah. Or is it actually informing the way I approach these things? As a, we're going to do a little podcast about it, and then really feel convicted about it and it's right. like oh, okay that was a good podcast yeah. we uh good information yeah we hopefully other people change their lives or am i gonna reorient my life to make sure that i i live out some of the stuff that we've been which calls about. for a follow-up podcast yon where are they now where are dan and yon now that's right and you'll find us on the border that's right and <laughs> or you'll find yon on the border but yon you tend to go up to the canadian border border to to welcome in your people. What this actually means is that i'm gonna live in your house rent-free because i am an immigrant so <laughs> Yeah, amen. Whoever meets me, just give me hey, listen, free stuff. If there's anyone I know who qualifies as the least of these, that's right. It would be you. <laughs> Truer words were never spoken. So, <laughs> but it's a thanks for sticking with us. It's a deep, heavy topic. Yeah. Um, and we we think that there is a way to to navigate it with a with a biblical lens and a gospel centered lens. And so that's our prayer and for you and for ourselves. But um, on to the important stuff. Personal preference. Personal preference and. Um, and so we're going to talk about Moe's and Chipotle and which one you prefer. And I'm going to go to you because you have some unique, deep foundational experiences with Moe's in your culinary journey. Well, it's one of the very first places that I ever came across that offered a Mo Monday $5 meal oh, with unlimited chips that. and <laughs> unlimited refills on soda. That is why. You have an affinity for right? most. <laughs> baskets and baskets and baskets of chips and refills on soda, which allowed me to give them a pass on that stretchy balloon burrito that they would stretch to try to fill in right. way more uh, food than you can fit in a burrito, but they would wrap it up in that stretchy yeah. burrito, right? The best part is you would bring bags of chips home to your family yeah. for dinner. <laughs> You'd say, here we go, kids. You're Five welcome. Bucks. Yep. So do you legitimately like Moe's better than Chipotle? I don't. I started at Moe's, um, but then one day I had Chipotle. Yeah. And after that, um, I once was lost, but then I was found. And I found, I'm actually surprised, like I'm shocked at the number of people who prefer Moe's at Chipotle. I'm a Chipotle guy. It's one of my favorite places I could eat there every day. Yeah. Um, But like if I, we, like we used to go to Moe's for Moe Monday with all of our interns and stuff. And then we went back like three years later and... I mean, you are not kidding. It's, it's like, just, I'm, I'm ashamed I'm of like, myself. What in the world were we doing? Even yeah. at five bucks, I'm like, it's, first of all, can we talk about 
Sorry, Moe's. We'll talk about this. We got to talk about this. If you've been ever been to Moe's, it's almost as if they don't know they're in business and they have a Mo Monday. Like there's two people who are like sweating. There's a line of twenty people. Yeah. Every the, if you look in the back, everything's all disheveled and dirty. And the it's salsa like, looks like a bomb exactly. went off on the salsa it's bar. Like, it's like do you don't you do know that people come to Mo Mondays and put more than two people back there. You know, <laughs> and they have an angry welcome to Mo's or a little yeah. pathetic or none at all. Yeah, exactly. And then the food, it just doesn't taste like much. The chips are like, it's like eating little pieces of like fried paper. They're so thin. and <laughs> Exactly. And, and I was just... Yon, I mean, you just framed this perfectly. Yeah. What in the world yeah. were we thinking? You know what? It's like, again, it's a it's a poor man's buffet. Yeah. And the only redeeming thing I think salsa. about those is their... Well, oh, they had the salsa bar. That's no, right. the freestyle machine. Now the freestyle machine, but their their, their queso was okay. Was so good. now we got three redeemable yeah, exactly. things. So anything you can do to just actually add flavor to their ingredients, <laughs> that was it. But I used to, I used to, as you know, I would split that burrito in half. So I would go to Mo Monday mm-hmm. for five dollars, bags and bags, or I should say, uh, um, baskets and baskets of chips. So I'd have leftover chips, cut that burrito in half, and a yeah. full cup of soda on the way home. I mean, that was a it was a good deal. Yeah, but then. I was found. Exactly. I was found, and I realized, oh, this tastes like real rice, real protein. Yeah. It's relatively hot, fresh, and uh, I don't get free chips. In fact, I don't get any chips at Chipotle. I get the chips. You know why? Because I get a side of of their sour cream, and I dip Mm -hmm. it in their sour cream. Yeah. Oh, their their guac is good. Uh, Yeah. So Chipotle is just easy. It's light years better than most. And if you don't agree with that statement then unsubscribe unsubscribe no, wrong because if Strong you even language. if you like our that your whole <laughs> your whole opinion is currently it's tainted right <laughs> you can't be trusted but our listeners can redeem themselves how well if they get online and do a little review that's right and uh you don't have to agree with us but you do have to rate us that's right of um, course i'm kidding of course i'm kidding i wouldn't even know how to do that well, we'll send you a Chipotle gift card if <laughs> no, we won't. Yeah, but yeah. So there you go. Chipotle has it. Um, if you've never been there, go there. If you've never been to Moe's, don't worry about it. <laughs> go anywhere else. Um, thanks for joining us. Like Dan said, hit a little subscribe, give us a rating, share us with your friends. Uh, we'd love to hear more about uh, how we're doing. But thanks for spending your time with us. And go and be a translator and transformer of our world with the good news of Jesus to specifically that immigration issue. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for checking out the Salted Podcast. You can find other episodes and topics on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Make sure you click follow so you'll get notifications whenever new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.